Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. This morning, we, we're near the summit of this series, Body of Evidence. We, um, in this series, have traveled along together to pick up clues and pieces of evidence that Jesus Christ is still very much alive. Um, he was not resurrected and died again. And he is not just alive in heaven. Jesus is very much alive and evident here on the earth today. His presence is evident in the hundreds of people from his body that are responding right now to this crisis. We've been talking in this series about these different evidences and So far, we've identified uh, four of them in the series. The body of Christ, or what's called the church. Diverse unity, not just unity, but unity that is expressed through our diversity, through our differences. Love and the new birth. Now, last weekend, we introduced a fifth evidence that I want to pick up here this morning and continue And that evidence is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I began last weekend by making an assumption. And here's the assumption I made last weekend that I want to repeat. If you are a Christ follower, my assumption is you pray. And if you pray as a Christian, then you pray in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name. The question this morning is, what is so significant about that name? In other words, why do we do that as followers of Christ? Well, I suspect this morning all of you would agree that names invoke opinions. So whenever we hear a name, it invokes almost an immediate response in us. We have an opinion about that name. And I would also suggest that names invoke emotion, deep-seated emotion. So when you hear certain names, they bring feelings and emotions of respect and honor. Other times you hear names and you think of disrespect or dishonor. Perhaps a name brings fear when you hear it. Or a name could actually even bring anger, resentment, or literal disgust just by hearing a name. So let me me illustrate this morning. I'm going to read a, a number of different names to you, and as I read them to you, I would like you just to pay attention to your body, pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to what you are beginning to experience physically when you hear this name. Be aware of what's happening in your facial expressions. Be aware of how your body posture may change. Or internally, your blood pressure might just begin to rise. Here are the names. Martin Luther King. Donald Trump, 
Mother Teresa. Muhammad Ali. Adolf Hitler. Elvis Presley. Barack Hussein Obama. What happens when you hear those names? More importantly this morning, what happens in you, in your opinions and your emotions when you hear the name Jesus? What happens when you hear his name used? How about when you hear it abused or misused? What is the reaction that you physically feel by that name? There's a reason that that particular name of all names creates more inspiration or more offense than any other name. Perhaps it's because of the power and the authority that was ascribed to that name by God himself. Philippians chapter 2 tells us what happens at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, not a name, but the name. That is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That passage is not really about salvation, though many have applied it to that. I mean, that is part of it, but it certainly does not encapsulate fully and embrace fully what that verse and that passage is about. This is a kingdom passage. This is a passage that is pointing to the fact that this particular name is a superior name above everything. It is about the sovereignty of that name over and above all else. Not just here on earth, but it includes what happens under the earth and even in the heavens above. It's pointing to the fact that God had ascribed to the name of Jesus a power and authority that is unlike any other name. Now, at the conception, God specifically said what he wanted that newborn child, that newborn son, to be named. He tells Mary to name him Jesus. And the name simply means God saves. God saves. When Jesus is affirmed as the Son of God, he begins his public ministry, he is identified then as the Christ. I said this last weekend. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. So the name Jesus speaks of his power, but the title Christ speaks of his authority. That name was actually ascribed to the one who would come as the Messiah. The Jewish prophets had foretold that there was a coming Messiah or God's Redeemer who would be the Christ, the Anointed One. That's literally what the word Christ means. The one anointed by God. 
Now, this past Thursday, Kelly and I typically walk every day uh, and get out and get some steps in. And um, after dinner, I, I looked at the radar because I knew there was just a slight chance of rain, 20%. And then like at 7 o'clock, there was going to be like a 40% chance of rain. And I, I looked at the radar, I looked at the sky, and I really felt like we were going to be good to get out and get our steps in. About halfway through our walk, the skies decided to open. And it's what started out as just simply a little bit of a trickle picked up more and more and more, and we kept walking toward the darker clouds, and Kelly kept saying, I think we ought to turn around and head the other direction. I, I said, no, we're going to be fine. We're gonna, this is going to pass. And we kept going, and it, and it got uglier and uglier. And by the time we were halfway through, we didn't rush home because we were literally drenched, absolutely drenched from head to toe. Now, you might say this morning, what does that, a walk in the rain, have to do with the word anointing? Everything. Because this word anointing and the way that it was used throughout the Jewish people and throughout history was that anointing was not just simply the tip of a finger dipped in oil and placed on a forehead. It actually looked more like like this. When someone was anointed, there was a a ram's horn that was used, and it was called the, the, the horn of oil that was filled with oil and then brought to the person who typically would bow on their knee. And from that horn of oil, it would be poured over top the head of the person who is being identified as someone who is anointed. That's what the Scripture teaches. When it talks about Jesus being the Christ or the anointed one. It literally means God-soaked. Jesus was God-soaked. And this is where it gets really, really interesting for we who are here on this earth today that are living and representing Christ the anointed one. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 26 through 28. Listen to these verses. You have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. We no longer see each other in our former state. Jews or non-Jews, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ, notice this, with no distinction between us. How does this make you feel when you read this this morning? Listen, this is who you are. In Christ. We sang about identity. Gene mentioned identity. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. You have been literally God-soaked through Jesus to now be his ambassadors here on the earth that not only represent him, but then carry out the mission 
of Jesus Christ on the earth. So there are two final things Jesus says before he ascends back to the Father. The two final recorded statements of Jesus that he ever said are given to us in Matthew's gospel and then in the Acts of the Apostles. What happens in these verses, I want you to notice, is that there is something being transferred from Jesus to us. Notice what it is. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came close to them, his disciples, and listen to what he said. All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget this. Never forget that, notice, I am with you. Every day, even to the completion of this age. Do we really believe this? That Jesus is with us and that we have been given that authority? Listen, Jesus knew we needed more than just authority. He knew we also needed the power to exercise it. So Acts chapter 1, here's what it says. Verses 8 and 9. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Think Mary. Think conception. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the, to the ends of the earth. After he said this. He was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So before the ascension, Jesus transfers. He makes a transfer. And what he does is he transfers two things. First, he transfers his authority to speak and act on his behalf. And secondly, he transfers the power or the credibility to be able to exercise that authority. Jesus literally here is giving permission to we are his followers. And he says, I'm giving you permission to have my authority and to have my power. Now listen, we can't do both this morning. So next weekend, on Pentecost Sunday, the culmination of this Easter season that we're in, we're going to talk about the power that was given. This morning, Let's talk in our final few moments about the authority. The early church did not think that Jesus was speaking hyperbole when he said this in John chapter 14. Verse number 12, what I'm about to tell you is true. Anyone who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. In fact, now, now just let this settle what he says. In fact, they will do even greater things. That's because I am going to the Father. Now, you might scratch your head this morning and say, where are these greater things? Like, why are we not doing these greater things? And why would Jesus say, you're going to do greater things when I leave than the things I did while I'm here. It's because Jesus was making a point. A point that they're not only going to have his presence 
before the Father in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for them, but they're also going to be entrusted with his presence within them. He had been with them. He was going to be within them. More on that next weekend. What Jesus here is really saying is that I am entrusting to you and I'm giving you permission to do two things. I'm giving you the authority to speak on my behalf and I'm giving you my authority to act on my behalf. Now the question is, when you read the scripture in the New Testament, how did they apply and appropriate and exercise that authority? Well, the Bible actually gives us, and we'll just take a couple of illustrations this morning because we're going to take time this morning to move us then to a time of communion. The first illustration that I want to bring to you reveals how they had authority to speak on behalf of Jesus. So Paul the Apostle, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he writes a letter and he begins to point out some issues in the church that were not being handled in an emotionally healthy and honest way. There were sin issues that were happening that were being overlooked. In fact, they were being celebrated. And Paul writes and says, listen, this should not be. You should not take lightly the fact that when you gather in my name, I'm in their, your presence. Listen, when the early church heard Jesus say those words, where two or three gather, I am there with them, they did not see that as some false peace or some false promise. They did not see that as some illusion of comfort. They took the word seriously. They literally believed that when they gathered, the presence and person of Jesus showed up. So Paul writes, and here's what he says to the Corinthian church, that are overlooking and celebrating the sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Even though I am not right there with you, I am with you in spirit. And now notice what he says. And I have already judged the one who did that, just as if I were there. When you come together in the name of our Lord Jesus, I will be with you in spirit. The power of our Lord Jesus will also be with you. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, when you are gathered together, there is a power that comes from the presence of your gathering together in the name of Jesus. And listen, not only am I with you in spirit, but he is with you in power. And, and the authority that he has that he's entrusted to us we are now going to utilize. It was an ecclesiastical authority that in our culture today is simply not looked at as significant. But there is a power in the name of Jesus that they understood. There's an authority when that name is used. And Paul said, listen, when we gather and when we deal with this issue, you're not alone. Jesus is right there with you. His power is there with you. And they also understood they had authority to act on behalf of Christ. This is one of the great evidences that Jesus is still here. 
In Acts chapter 3, here's what happens. Peter and John are going to a temple to pray, and on their way they see a man who's actually begging them for money. And this lame man is asking for, a, for just a handout. Here's how Peter responds to him. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. Now, in those days in the first century culture, there, were not, there was not lower class, upper class, middle class. There were not uh, a middle ground of people. There was either a very, very poor people or very, very wealthy people. That was it. And two-thirds of the population were either slaves or they were people that just simply did not have the means to make a living. The rest of them had all of the power through the silver and the gold and the currency of that day. And here's, here's the reality. What Peter understood still holds true in some ways today. The ones who have the wealth have the authority. And so Peter said, listen, I know that authority comes with money. We don't have it. We don't have that kind of authority. But we have a much better authority. What we do have, we're going to give to you. Here it is. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. It was so simple. And it was so faith-filled. Because they're not questioning in this moment that when they say that, that there's going to be a response. They understand that there's this authority that comes in the name of Jesus. Now, I recognize that not every person that we pray for gets healed. Not every person in the first century Jesus passed got healed. Not everyone that the apostles encountered got healed. But when the will of God was moving in them and when they were filled with faith in the name of Jesus, they simply gave what they had, the authority of Jesus. And when they gave it, things happened. I want you to think of it this way. This man is broken. And this man is, needs to be made whole. And through the authority of Jesus, this man is made whole. Every time someone is made whole in the name of Jesus, it is evidence that Jesus is here, that his presence is here. Now, I used that word anointing earlier for Jesus. I do not apply that word very often. to people or to things. In fact, in my theological construct, it was a word that got overused and often misused. What I'm about to say, I, I feel pretty confident of in the Lord. I believe God has uniquely anointed Grace Crossing Church to be a place of healing for people who need to be made whole. It's been one of the things that we have watched through the years is that broken people people who are emotionally broken, people that are relationally broken, even people physically broken are being made whole through Jesus.
I think it's one of the unique contributions that God is allowing Grace Crossing to make to God's kingdom. And listen, that should really humble us. That should really humble us. It should give us a lot of gratitude. And some of you are here, and I've said this before, but this is a church of a lot of broken people who have come together in the name of Jesus Christ and have been made whole by him, myself included. When people say um, about me being a gift to this church, listen, this church is a gift to me because this body has been a place of healing for me in my own life. I've needed healing from my own brokenness. I've been made whole because of this body. And that's the way the body of Christ works. Every time somebody is made whole through the name of Jesus, it's evidence that he's here. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.